My name's Josh Lindman. I'm the intern pastor here, and uh, it's great to be with you guys this morning. Spend most of my time up in Ankeny, but it's fun to come down every once in a while and see you guys here. So, words are powerful, aren't they? Words are powerful. They have the ability to inspire us. If you've ever been in that kind of circumstance where somebody's giving you this pep talk and you're going to go out and you're going to do something, and words have this ability to take us from where we are and move us to this new place, this new reality. Words can heal us, they can hurt us, they can inspire us, they can challenge us, they can help us to dream about something new, a new way of being. Four score and seven years ago, Abraham Lincoln in the Gettysburg Address, ask not what your country can do for you, JFK, I have a dream, Martin Luther King. Words are powerful. Maybe as parents, you remember the first words that your kids ever spoke. I asked my parents this week, uh, I asked my dad first, and he's like, ask your mom. And then I asked my mom, and she's like, oh, 27 years, that's, that's too long ago, I don't remember. And I was like, wow, okay, I'm glad. Made an impression, whatever it was that I said. Uh, maybe you remember the time that you proposed to your wife, or the first time you said, I love you to your significant other. Words have this incredible power in our lives. Maybe it's the song lyrics of a favorite song from high school that you can still sing every single word. You might forget other things, but you can still sing every single word of that song. Or maybe it's a favorite scripture verse that's gotten you through hard times. Words are powerful. And we're continuing this series called What's a Lutheran? Looking at the foundations of the Lutheran faith, understanding our roots and where we come from as a church. And you might be wondering, like, okay, I've got the other weeks, the kind of grace and faith and those kind of things that make sense. I've heard about that before in the Lutheran church, but Lutherans don't really necessarily have this corner on the word market, do they? Maybe? I mean, we're not the wordiest bunch out there. The sermons certainly aren't as long as some places, as some churches, Pastor John, every once in a while, gives the Baptists a good run for their money, you know, but but we don't have this corner on the word market, do we, except for the fact that there's those four alones that the Lutheran church is kind of built on, that the Lutheran church lays its foundation on, on grace alone, faith alone, word alone, and Christ alone. So word alone, what does it mean when we say word alone? I think that it means that as a church, as a people, we are guided ultimately by God's word. It's the words that we build our life upon. It's the words that we cling to in the times of trouble. It's the words we look to first and foremost to give us guidance in life. It doesn't mean necessarily that you know, God doesn't speak through people and through circumstances and those kind of things, but God's word is our litmus test. It's what we turn to first. God's word alone. When Martin Luther, the guy who started the movement that became the Lutheran Church, he's standing in front of this group of civic and religious leaders, and they're asking him to recant some of his teachings, to take back these teachings. And the folklore goes that, well, he was standing there and he said, you know, here I stand, I can do no other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. So as Lutherans, maybe that's kind of what it means, that we're captive to God's word. We're captive to God's word. Maybe a better way to put it in these days is we're captivated by God's word. It's something that is so 
engaging to us. It interacts with us. It's the foundation of who we are. Maya Angelou is a poet, activist, writer. She passed away just last month, but she has this to say about words. Words are things. They get on your walls, in your rugs, in your upholstery, in your clothes, and finally in to you. Words are things, and they get into you. Would you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3? This is our scripture reading this morning. Sorry about that confusion earlier. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, uh, like they said earlier, you can grab one from somebody at the end of the rows. 2 Timothy's way in the back. It's on page 915, if you're getting lost between all the small books in the end there. So 2 Timothy 3. Let's read this together. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. All scripture is useful in our lives. Scripture interacts with us. What Paul is saying here is that it's not some static, stationary word. It's not just a flat word on a page, but the word, in fact, engages us, it interacts with us in a different way. If you've been around Hope Des Moines for any length of time, you might have heard Pastor John or Andy talk about the point of reading the Bible. It's not about getting through Genesis all the way back to Revelation. It's not about getting through the Bible, but instead letting the Bible get through us. Letting the Bible get through us. Letting the Bible affect us in this different way. I mean, think about any great story that you've heard or any movie that you've watched. The Hunger Games, Katniss Everdeen, The Good versus the Evil, President Snow. Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, Harry Potter, Voldemort. This good versus evil. And when you're watching these movies, when you're reading these books, you're engaged in this in a different way. You're getting into it, but the, the story is also getting into you. It's affecting you. And when the lead characters, when they mourn and when bad things happen, you mourn with them. And when they rejoice and when they triumph over evil, you celebrate with them. It's an emotional experience. It's an effectual experience. Deeply affected. And in the same way, I think God's word affects us. God's story intersects with our story, and it affects us. And I want to focus on two particular ways that I think God's word, the power of God's word, affects us. One is that it fights the darkness in our lives, and it fights the distance that we feel. The power of God's word is that it fights darkness, and it fights distance. So my family, uh, growing up in Florida, our favorite place to vacation was the mountains of western North Carolina. Beautiful area. I mean, it's just incredible to sit in a cabin and watch in the morning as the fog kind of rolls out of the valley up through the mountains and then dissipates. Or at evenings in the beautiful sunsets. The waterfalls that you can hike to. I mean, it's just, it's a little bit cooler than Florida sometimes, so that's also a plus, right? 
So my parents liked it so much, they decided that they would retire up there, and they built a cabin, and we still spend holidays there, and they're not retired yet, but we spend holidays up there. We get there every once in a while, but then they also rent out the cabin for people on vacation, and my dad was telling me the story this last winter about a group that came up to stay at the cabin in Franklin, North Carolina. And so this group was from a drug rehab center for teens, and the counselors were bringing the teens up to ski in Maggie Valley, up in the mountains. And on their way back, they were going to stop in Franklin, stop at the cabin for the night. And so they get there, they get to the cabin, and it's, it's dark, it's pitch black, you can't see anything. And you got to think some of these teens, and they've seen darkness that some of us will never see in our entire lifetimes in and out of foster care, in and out of the court system, in and out of rehab, brokenness and a lack of hope and a darkness in their lives that I can't even begin to imagine. So they get there and it's, it's dark, it's pitch black, they can't even see the beautiful mountain scenery that's right in front of them and it's kind of what the darkness does to us. It obstructs that beauty that's just in front of our faces. And those moments when it's so dark that we can't see anything. So they get into the cabin, they settle in for the night, and then the counselors, they wake them up early in the morning. And they take them outside on the deck and they show them this view. And it's beautiful, and it's, I mean, it's a gorgeous, breathtaking view, and they get to see that light instead of darkness. And the counselors, they gather up the students and the teens, and they say, you know, you may think that your lives are broken beyond repair. You may think that you're in a point where there's no hope going forward, where there's only darkness for you, where there's only despair and brokenness and fear and who knows what the future will hold. But in reality, the same God that made these mountains made you. The same God that made this beautiful scenery made you. There's always hope in the future. There's always hope. And see, that's, I think, one of the powers of God's word is that it brings light to our darkness Psalm 119 talks about it like this. Maybe you've heard this before. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Fighting the darkness. Fighting that sense of despair. Showing us a new way forward, a way out of the darkness, a light at the end of the tunnel. A light at the end of those dark moments. I mean, we've all been there, right? We're sitting in bed, it's late at night. Too dark to know whether we should go left or right in our current relationship. If there's going to be any kind of future. Too dark to know whether our health is going to improve in the future. Too dark to know whether there's going to be a way out of that addiction, a way out of the loneliness, a way out of the despair. And in the midst of that darkness, the power of God's word is that it comes and it meets us where we are and it lightens up our world. 
It shows us a way forward. It fights the darkness. But even in the midst of the light, I think there's times when we can still feel like God's not there. Even in the midst of the light, in the midst of the bright of day, we can feel that God's not there. We can feel alone like the thing that we're facing is something no one else has ever faced. And in the midst of that, I think God's word brings power because it closes the distance that we feel between us and God. It closes the distance. It brings us to this point where our story and God's story are set on this collision course where we meet God right where we are. I know there's times in my life when I long to hear God speak something to me. Maybe you've been there in stress, at work, you're overwhelmed with something, with a relationship, you've fought with a friend of yours, you fought with your parents, and you're just waiting for God to say something that's going to restore your faith, renew your hope, calm your fears, relieve your doubts. Say something, God. Anything. And the promise is, we hear this promise in Hebrews. Hebrews 1. Long ago, God spoke in many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. But in these final days, God has spoken to us through his Son. And you see, that's the power of God's word, to meet us where we are, to come to the places where we are suffering and where we are hurting, and to bring us hope and to bring us light, to bring us life, to speak promises to us in the midst of everything that we're going through. A God that is with us, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. The power of the Word to encounter us wherever we are, no matter the smallness of the details of life that you think God doesn't have time for. No matter how big your problems are that you think they're too impossible to solve, on either end of the spectrum, God is there. God is in our midst. That's the good news. That's the living, breathing power of this book, of the God that we worship, of the God that speaks through this book. To be present with us. So I moved around a lot as a kid. I, from elementary school, kindergarten through fifth grade, five different elementary schools. If you've ever moved around at all in your life, you know moving to a new place is tough, right? You've got to meet new people, make new friends. It's awkward. You've got to learn the routines at the school and learn what there is to do around. And man, I really struggled for those first five years of school. It was not fun at all. The loneliness, the isolation, the sadness of having to leave old friends and wonder if I'm going to make new friends in the new place that I moved to. Luckily, I got into middle school and then high school and college and made a lot of great friends during those years because I was in the same place, sixth grade through high school. And there was a great blessing in my life but then after college, I moved to Kansas City to pursue this dream job of mine. And I was so excited for it. This was going to be the best thing ever. And then I get there, 
And all of a sudden, I'm realizing some of these same anxieties, some of the same fear, some of the same hurt and pain and isolation that I felt way back in elementary school, it was creeping back into my life. Because I moved to Kansas City knowing no one at all. Moved for this job, and I mean, if you've ever made the transition from college into place where you've never lived before, right? College, you move there, maybe you've never been there before, but it's this place where it's so easy to make friends, right? You're constantly in close quarters with other people. You're seeing the same people in classes. There's all sorts of stuff to do to meet people. But then you get out in the real world and everybody kind of lives in their own little bubbles. And it's just, it can be so isolating. It can be so lonely, And I know I sat there some nights and would just come home from work and, I mean, there'd be no one to talk to, nothing to do, no one to hang out with. People would ask me, what are you doing on the weekend? And I wouldn't have any response. Oh, I'm going to sit at home, I guess. And I'm not saying this to like, don't take pity on me, it's fine, it's good. Everything's good, right? But I'm saying this because in the midst of that, in the midst of the darkest days that I felt there in Kansas City, all by myself, all alone, I believe in the power of God's word to meet me where I'm at. And that's what happened in those moments. And so when I say God's word fights the distance that we feel, it's not just as a pastor standing up here. It's not just as this guy that theologically educated, and this is the kind of thing that I should say, right? It's because I have lived and I have experienced this. A God that comes to me. In the midst of the loneliness, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the pain. So my favorite scripture verse is Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I remember it was actually a verse that I memorized a long time ago, probably the first one. And probably back then, it was because I was young and I was like, hey, Joshua, it's you know, my name, it's in the Bible, I'm kind of a big deal. Wow, this is awesome. <laughs> this is great. Oh, everybody, Andy is not in the Bible. I mean, it doesn't at least have a book, you know? I don't know. Rick, not in the Bible. Sorry, not to just pick on Andy, but... Uh... So at first, I think that might have just been the reason why I was so excited about this verse, but... As my life went on, I realize now why it's so important. It's not that be strong and courageous. That's probably what I cling to early on as this young, nerdy, awkward kid who you can tell had no uh, experience holding a baseball bat this morning. (laughs) He's definitely a band kid. I mean, it's just obvious, right? So be strong and courageous. That was what I kind of clung to. But as I went on in life, The power part of that verse was that God is with you. Wherever you go, that God encounters us. He closes that gap. He bridges the gap. He closes the distance between us and him, and he comes to us, and he loves us, and he encounters us. And to live as a Lutheran Christian means to believe in that encounter, that continual encounter. We believe in a God who encounters us in baptism, in worship, in scripture, in community, in serving, maybe most profoundly in communion. And we trust that Jesus' words, it's not simply bread, it's not simply wine, but when Jesus said, this is my body, 
This is my blood. There is an encounter there with Jesus. In and with the bread, in and with the wine. And there was a promise. The forgiveness of our sins, a new way forward. Light in the midst of our darkness. Presence in the midst of our pain. That's what it means to be a Lutheran Christian. That's what it means. Remember Maya Angelou's words, words are things. They get into our walls, into our upholstery and our carpet, our clothes, and finally they get into us. So I want to leave us with just a few ways that we can get into God's word, that we can allow God's word to get into us. It's kind of a relationship. I realize this is kind of awkward that this is more like teaching-ish. And so having the music in the background, I don't know, this could be a little weird, sorry. I told you to come up, I did. But I forgot about this part, so. Uh, I'm sorry, this is good, why not, right? Sure. Uh, I'm gonna be distracted by it, so I'm sorry. Okay. So did I mention I'm the intern pastor? Yeah, uh-huh. uh, So here we go, so here's, here's four ways, um, four things to think about, four things to think about, to let the word get into you. First of all, start small. As we talk about reading God's word, I think a lot of people, when they get excited about this, they say, okay, I'm just going to go right from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I'm going to do it all. I'm going to read like big chapters at a time, and this is going to be great. And then like you get to Leviticus, to Deuteronomy, and then you start to get overwhelmed, and you say, okay, well, you know, that was fun for a while, and then maybe you just kind of give up. And so, and that's fine. That's fine. But... I think the important part is to start small, to start maybe just with a verse a day, maybe just a chapter a day. Start with um, a gospel or something. Start in the New Testament. I would say that's probably a good idea. Or with the Psalms. Something like that. Start small. And then after you've started small, I would also say pray. Pray that in the midst of your reading, before you read anything, just stop for a second. Don't just get through the reading, but stop And say, God, would you speak to me today? Would your word get into me today? And then, um, make a note. In the midst of starting small, in the midst of praying, would you make a note and say, keep track of those ways that God is speaking to you. Keep track of those things and When there's a verse that sticks out, write it down. Write it down. Put it on your phone. Put it in your car. Put it someplace where you can pay attention to it, where you can see it. And it can actually have a chance to get into you and not just be something you read in the morning and give up on and forget about for the rest of your day. Make a note. And then finally, be consistent. Be consistent. My mom was the one who taught me this. Every morning during school, we would come downstairs, and she was a teacher, so she was up just a little bit before us, and I'd see her there as I'm, like, getting my cinnamon toast crunch out of my cereal box, right, and getting ready to enjoy that, and I see her over at the table, and she's reading her Bible, and she's doing her morning quiet time. Every morning, I would see her doing this. Every morning. And, I mean, I knew that seemed like a good idea, but... I adopted that practice a little bit later, and I began to see why it was that she did it every morning. Because I'll be honest with you, there are some mornings when 
nothing jumps out. You read through something and, I mean, you're just not feeling it. And there might be whole weeks that go by like that, but then you get to this point in the consistency of the routine and the consistency of this relationship with reading the Bible, that things start to jump out to you. And maybe it ebbs and it flows, but it's in those moments of the ebb and the flow that powerful things can happen. So be consistent. So there we go. Start small. Pray. Make a note. And be consistent. See, that's what it means to be a Lutheran Christian, to be a person of the word, to be a person who builds their life on God's solid foundation. A person who trusts above all else in God's word to fight the distance to fight the darkness, to encounter us where we are, to get into us, to affect us, to change our lives forever. Are you open to that power this morning? Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for the opportunity to gather here this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to us. Thank you that you come to us, that you encounter us. Thank you that you are a God so committed to the relationship with us that you make the first move, that you bring your word to fight our darkness, to fight our distance. God, I pray that over the coming days, your word would have power in our life in a new way. That we would allow you, that we would be open to you getting into us through your word, speaking to us, changing us. Amen.